This episode of Didn't I Just Feed You is sponsored by By Heart. Longtime listeners know that Stacy and I both struggled with infant feeding stages with all our kids. Breastfeeding was hard, and choosing a formula was, well, also hard. We're thrilled to be working with By Heart, an infant nutrition company on a mission to make the best formula in the world. Not only is By Heart an easy-to-digest formula, their formula is also clinically proven for easier digestion, less spit-up, and softer poops versus leading infant formula. By Heart has their own patented protein blend that includes prebiotics and an 80-20 whey-to-casein ratio, just like in early breast milk, which is tailor-made for a newborn's digestive system. Curious about By Heart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com slash podcast with code D-I-J-F-Y for a limited time. That's byheart.com slash podcast and code D-I-J-F-Y, short for Didn't I Just Feed You. Additional terms and conditions apply. Think of like ratatouille, right? Ratatouille, French dish that traditionally, if you're going to make it the traditional way, you're going to stand over the stove all day and you're going to saute every vegetable. You're going to get your eggplants and your zucchini, your tomatoes, and you're going to saute them separately all day long. For me, I'm going to throw that all in a sheet pan and put it in the oven. And that to me is how I interpret French cooking. I'm going to get those same flavors. I'm going to use really fresh, good ingredients. And then I'm going to take a shortcut when I make it. Welcome to Didn't I Just Feed You, a podcast about feeding kids. Hi, I'm Megan. And I'm Stacy. Before we get started, we want to make sure that if you haven't already, you take a moment to subscribe, hit that button wherever you're listening right now, so you don't miss a thing. And you guys, if you're feeling very generous, which we know you are, you're such lovely people. Rate and review also. It really helps a ton. Plus, we know you can do it while you're listening because you're a parent, which means you're also a master multitasker. Okay, Stacy, we have the best guest today. I shouldn't say the best guest. We have a great guest today. <laughs> All you I'm other guests. Saying... You are the worst. I'm Move kidding. Over. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We do have the greatest guests in general, but I feel like this is a fun conversation to start, which is. We, as food writers, we both have people who we look up to, who we, like, have watched their careers and we relate to what they write or we just, like, really admire what they write. And for you, Melissa Clark is one of those people, right? Absolutely. So I want to know, like, who are other people who you just love? Oh, you're putting me on the spot. I know. I am. I really don't have other people. I'm not joking. (laughs) Melissa Clark's one of my favorites. (laughs) You're just saying that because she's a guest. I swear I'm not. I don't like, I don't really follow food writers that way. I mean, I remember, you know, reading Ruth Reichel. Yes. And being like, oh my gosh, you know, because you know that I also love to write. You know, I, some people come at food writing because they love to write. And they love food. Other people are more recipe developers and food experts who then write to communicate what they know and love about food. This is why we're the perfect team, because I am the development. Like, I love writing recipes. I love taking pictures of food and being involved in all that stuff. I don't actually consider myself a writer. Like, I write because I have to, whereas I think you really identify as a writer. Yeah, I love writing. I love developing recipes, too, but I, like, if I didn't have to take photos, if I didn't have to, like, if I had recipe testers, like, that'd be great. 
Like I would write. I love <laughs> writing and I love cooking. Like that's what I love to do. So yes. Ruth Reichel was, you know, a revelation. And then, you know, you go back. Once you're like turned on to it all, you kind of go back and you read like the classic books. And But Melissa Clark is, you know, I think one of the most fabulous food writers of our time. And I talked to her a little bit in this interview about why her work resonates with me so much. And it's just, there's something kind of sexy about her food. It's elevated. It's like, it uses all these like great ingredients. Like she's going to talk to us. You'll hear you guys. She like goes on about anchovies in a way that I just love. Like anchovies is not something that the like average busy, you know, American home cook would grab. But, you know, if you're a sexy French mom, (laughs) (laughs) which I clearly aspire to be. With a fabulous bag and a scarf and baguettes like <laughs> from the market and you're rushing home to make something for your children. I mean, clearly I have this whole like romance in my head. Right. You grab those anchovies. That's just what you keep in your cupboard. And it's also like lovely and sophisticated. But through Melissa explores French cuisine, like through her real life here in Brooklyn as a busy working mom. (laughs) So she gets it. She gets sheet pan meals. She gets easy cleanup. She gets that dinner has to be done quickly. She gets that, you know, kids, their palates aren't as sophisticated as ours, or as she puts it, are more sensitive than ours. So I feel like she delivers on the romance a food that I fell in love with when I first fell in love with food, but in a way that feels totally accessible to me. What I really love about that, as you said, accessible, because we talk sometimes about people who romanticize food for us in ways that we like want to buy their books because their photos are so beautiful and their recipes sound so like lovely, but they're often cookbooks that feel more aspirational. Like we're not going to dog ear them. They're not going to be splattered with olive oil or pasta sauce because they're not actually, they're more like coffee table books. And so I love that you can say, Dinner in French is accessible. It is a cookbook that you can cook from on a weeknight or you can cook from leisurely on the weekend too and have as much joy in either situation. I also, as you know, consider myself a little bit of an educator since that's my background. I have a master's in child development from a school of education. And sometimes I do try to keep it in check so I don't totally nerd out. But I feel like there's a little bit of a kinship there with Melissa. Like she knows how to cook and she also just wants to teach people how to cook. I know she went off about roasting in the best way possible. I'm like, wow, okay. Yeah. Let's get into the nitty gritty of it. Absolutely. And I love that about her as well. And because that also comes across in her work. You know, she does a lot of those guides for the New York Times food on how to roast spaghetti squash. No, she never really wrote that. But like some of those nitty gritty, like educational guides on how to cook. Well, and her book before this was Dinner in an Instant, where she took like these very classic meals and made them into Instant Pot meals. And, you know, some some critique of that book was sort of like, well, these recipes don't take any less time. But they were just this like one little step up above like, the spaghetti recipe that you could get in the Instant Pot 
manual, right? Like there was more flavor added, there was more nuance added, and sometimes there was also just like smart and practical tips to eke more flavor out of those ingredients with the Instant Pot. Absolutely. And it was also about learning how to use the Instant Pot and everything that it does. I know that Instant Pot is synonymous with dump and cook. Yeah. <laughs> so that dinners can... is a term we use at Kitchen, which all of us don't like, but people click on those things. Well, right. And like, that's not how everybody wants to cook. So it's, you know, if you're looking for that, maybe every single recipe and dinner in an instant won't be for you. But if you like the idea of, I can't remember, I think there might even be a cassoulet recipe in that book. Yeah. As if I'm remembering I correctly, is. I want to grab it off my shelf, but I won't interrupt our recording. <laughs> um, but, you know, if you want to achieve that kind of like flavor and that you want to make that dinner and it feels too sophisticated on the stove, like using a pressure cooker is a great way to slow cook meat without all the time, you know? And so it's about using the Instant Pot for what it's good at to achieve these more elevated results is yeah. how I think of her work. It wasn't about like, here are five dump 10 minute dinners. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. Dump 10 minute dinners is the name of my next album. <laughs> I thought you were going to tell us your next cookbook. No. JK, JK. No, it's no. actually called Winner, Winner, Chicken Dinner and it's coming out this month. Yeah, baby. Yay. Anyway. So yes, I'm a fan. I think we should, I was going to share who I'm a fan of, but maybe we'll wait until after the interview because I feel like you just did such a beautiful job of, of introducing Melissa that we should just jump right in. Let's jump right in. You can give us the overview. I mean, do you think there are people who don't know who she is? I can't imagine. Okay. Okay. Well, people, I'm going to tell you just very quickly that Melissa Clark is a staff writer for the New York Times food section where she writes their wildly popular food column, A Good Appetite. She's the author of Dinner and the recipient of multiple James Beard and IACP awards. She lives in Brooklyn with her husband and her daughter. And her latest cookbook, which I'm so enamored with, is called Dinner in French, My Recipes by Way of France. Welcome, Melissa Clark. So, Melissa, many American home cooks think that French cuisine is synonymous with high cuisine. And really, this book is about your summers in France and sitting around the table with your family. Is there something about what you wrote or the recipes that you share in this book that is trying to challenge that notion? Yeah, you know, everything about this book is trying to challenge that notion because that's (laughs) that's just not how I... I learned about French food. You know, I, I learned about French food when I was a kid. I was, and it was just food. It was okay. There was the food we ate in France, and then there was the food we ate in Brooklyn, and some of it, all of it, was the same in the way that I um, developed a sort of a consciousness to it. And then, of course, as I grew up, and I, I really started to understand that people thought French food was intimidating. They thought that it was hard. And I could understand why they would think that, but that was never where it was coming from. And I think a lot of that might have been like, just because those weren't the dishes we cooked. You know, we never made, you know, a full on cassoulet. We rarely made a souffle. The stuff that we made was really simple French home cooking using ingredients that, you know, at that time, you know, this was back in the 80s, you couldn't get in Brooklyn. And um, that defined it for me the easy, the the stuff that was easy, the stuff that was good for the family, the stuff that we could cook together as a family. So, okay. (laughs) Just put it really plainly. 
Were your parents fancy? They were totally fancy. <laughs> they were fancy, but they weren't fancy when it came to feeding us. You know what I mean? Like they had these yeah. fancy dinner parties and that's when they would make the souffle and the cassoulet. But I never made that stuff. I never, I rarely even ate that. I mean, okay, I'd eat the souffle because not the <laughs> cheese. But it's not like I was, you know, knocking the door down for cassoulet. No, we had things like, you know, they would make things like, delicious um, stewed chickens, you know, really easy mm. roast, a lot of roast chickens, a lot of potatoes. I think really the difference between the cooking that we did in France and the cooking that we did in Brooklyn, or even when we cooked French food in Brooklyn, I feel like everything we, that all the French stuff had cheese on it, <laughs> which is really good <laughs> when you're a kid, you know, it was like, all right, let's put the cheese on. It was like potatoes with cheese. It was ch even chicken with, with cheese. It was, um, I guess like we, we were using fancy French cheeses, but I mean, this, I mean, back then, fancy French cheese was goat cheese, you know, yeah. like, it, it, like, we've had a lot, the, the way the cultural difference between when I was growing up and, and the stuff you can just get in the supermarket now, like, you know, Gruyere cheese, like we can find that. But my dad used to have to go to Zabar's to get that yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny, because I was just going to say, if you're talking about melting Gruyere over a piece of toast, it suddenly, it feels so much more elevated than like grilled cheese or cheddar on broccoli or something, yeah. you know, because Americans love cheese too. It just is really, really different. What, like, what is that difference to you? Like, how can you capture it and put it into words? I mean, for me, the way that I, the way that I really think about it is when I think about um, how, when I think about cooking French food, I really, I think about how the freshness of it, you know, because that to me was the big, huge difference. And again, we're talking, you know, my childhood. So there were no farmer's markets here. There weren't, there were no farmer. We never went to the farmer's market. I know. This and is you're not very old. Like things have changed quickly. Things change quickly. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, in France, like we went to the market every day. So this is like all the stuff that I do today is stuff that I learned how to do when I was a kid, you know, going to France every summer. And this is stuff, but it's normal today. It doesn't seem so it's like, yeah, I use ingredients from the farmer's market. I really care about fresh food. And then I cook them. I think, you know, we think about French technique being intimidating, but in fact, any kind of cooking technique is a way for us to get the most out of these incredible fresh mm. ingredients that we buy, but it doesn't have to be hard. I mean, roasting is a technique and roasting is like throw it in the oven. So you yeah. get something really fresh. I mean, and for me, I'm a big throw it in the oven kind of person. I love taking something and just get hiding it in the oven until it's done. And then the house smells really good. And you're like, oh, dinner's ready. You know, <laughs> like anything you can do on a sheet pan. So typical example, think of like ratatouille, right? Ratatouille, French, like French dish that Traditionally, if you're going to make it the traditional way, you're going to stand over the stove all day and you're going to saute every vegetable. You're going to get your eggplants and your zucchini, your tomatoes, and you're going to saute them separately all day long, you know, for hours. For me, I'm going to throw that all in a sheet pan and put it in the oven. And that to me is how I interpret French cooking. I'm going to get those same flavors. I'm going to use really fresh, good ingredients. And then I'm going to take a shortcut when I make it. I think that as a big fan of your work, you're getting to the heart of what I love about your cooking is that I feel like you have this wonderful palate and understanding of food and cuisine and your food feels elevated, but you are clearly, in my opinion, <laughs> coming from this place of being a busy parent, you're thinking about when you develop recipes as a fellow recipe developer, it seems like you're thinking about how can I eke out these flavors? How can I achieve this texture in the easiest, simplest way possible? Absolutely. And I mean, I think that really is, you know, the, the reason I wrote this book 
like I said, is to like knock the idea that French food is at all hard and to show that you can have those amazing flavors. And it's not that they're shortcuts in a way that would offend the French. It's not at all because, you know, there are lots of French parents out there cooking meals exactly in the same way. You yes. know, French cuisine has modernized itself. I'm just sort of reporting back on stuff that's already happening. You know, what's so great about France is like their entire culture is about eating a great meal. So I want to incorporate more of that into sort of the practical home cook that I already am. Because I am extreme, like you said, I'm extremely practical. I don't want to wash too many dishes. I need yeah. to get it on the table quickly. I yeah. love it if I can put it on a sheet pan and put it in the oven. But I also want to take a moment out of our busy, crazy, hectic days, you know, with like my kid and say, okay, you know what? We're going to take a moment and just appreciate this deliciousness that I just made you. Even if it was, you know, I made it quickly. I still put love and time into it. And let's just appreciate all that together. And, and let's call me the queen of the house. Thank exactly. you very much. Everybody. And you know what? Even if we eat it all in 15 <laughs> minutes, it's like, I'm still drinking my glass of wine with it. <laughs> yes. Okay. I need to go back to roasting for one second. I'm going to take us down a little like side path. Like, let's yep. just imagine that we're in the French countryside and we found this little path. Okay. A listener in our listeners group recently said that roasting doesn't work for her. And Megan and I were like, I I, I don't even know how to get my head around that. Right. So neither did we, but we did explore it in a recent episode we did just on side dishes. And like, what, what to you, why is roasting such an important technique to know how to do. And when you really like go back and think about when you were first learning to cook, imagine that you really know nothing and you're like, ah, what should people know about how to roast and how to finish something that they've roasted? This is a really important question. And I'm so glad you're bringing this up because I take this stuff for granted, but it's true. It's like when you're first starting out, and you think roast, you probably think I'm going to roast in a roasting pan, right? Because duh, it's a roasting pan and you're roasting. Don't do it. Don't don't (laughs) think the biggest mistake people make is that the sides are too deep. And if you try to roast in a roasting pan, I mean, roasting pan means roasted meats, like big, huge chunks of meat, like a turkey. That's what you use your roasting pan for. Yes. It's It's all about the sheet pan. And this is something that you may not know. So if roasting doesn't work for you, assess your pan. Low sides are really important for roasting. If you have high sides on a pan and you have a lot of vegetables in there or meat or whatever you have in there, you're gonna, they're going to get warm and they're going to steam out all their moisture and you're never going to get browning. If you have low sides, then you get heat from all directions, like a little science here, and that's going to make your food turn gorgeous, golden, caramelizy brown. So first thing is I have, can I just tell you how many sheet pans I have? <laughs> yes, we want to know. Because <laughs> I counted them the other day. I was, I was actually doing, you know, getting stuff together for a party. And I was like, do I have enough sheet pans? Wait, I still have more sheet pans. Oh my God, there are still more sheet pans. <laughs> I have eight sheet pans, eight yes. of them. But you wouldn't even know it because they stack up so thin. You can just throw them. I have them in a drawer and they all fit. So I always say to people who are just starting out, if you have one, you know, get a sheet pan and a sheet pan means a sheet, like a big, it's like a cookie sheet, except it has rims. It's like a jelly roll pan. It has one inch sides on it. And they're about, um, usually they're like 17 by 13 or 17, something like that. I forget 18 by 13. And they stack into each other. So if you have one great buy two, buy another, you should have two. I think that everybody should have three personally is my happy number. And they're about $15 each. So it's not a huge investment. One roasting pan costs you at least $75. So don't buy the roasting pan, buy yourself three sheet pans. And then the next thing, like you said about finishing is you have, you throw your veg in or your meat or whatever, and then you, you cover it with a little bit of oil 
to help the browning. And you always season it before it goes in the oven with some salt. And if you have some herbs, you can throw them on there, bay leaves, um, you could throw some cumin seeds, whatever, or not, just have salt and oil. And when you get comes out of the oven, this is really important. You want to put fresh oil on it because that oil on there is already like all the flavors cooked off. It made it brown, but you're not tasting it. So you get your like really fancy good olive oil. And after your fancy olive oil, then you want to take some lemon or some vinegar, something yes. with acid, and you want to brighten the whole thing. I am personally, I'm a lemon head. I love lemon. I keep lemons cut up in a little bowl in the fridge so that I can just grab a wedge anytime and just, you know, squeeze it all over my, my vegetables or my salmon or whatever I'm roasting in that roast in that sheet pan. Seriously. Everything tastes so much better with a drizzle of good olive oil and a squeeze of lemon. And then if you have fancy, you know, flaky sea salt, great, but even Mm. just regular salt, Mm -hmm. hit it up with a little more salt. And at the end is when you add your pepper. Don't add the pepper before you cook it. This is something new to me. This is a new thing I just learned. It's better to add the pepper after just because it's fresher. And again, it's like that fresh hit of flavor. And that's it. Yeah. You know, I never thought about it as it applies to pepper, but we had um, Kanchan Koya on the podcast and she is a spice expert. And she was saying that she always, with all of her spices, will layer them. So you put some on before cooking, you can sprinkle some on after cooking because you're going to get a totally different experience out of the spice before and after heat has interacted with it. Exactly. And that is something that I feel like I really am, I I kind of knew that, but the more I cook, the more I know it, the more just obvious it becomes to me. So yes, feel free to spice it twice and taste it too, you know, like pick up like you've roasted carrots before you serve it, taste one and see what it needs. And then don't be afraid to add it. I like spice it twice. I know. I'm like, that's the best, the best Instagram meme of all time. I was just thinking, you're like, spice it twice. It's going on Instagram. (laughs) I just totally agree 100% with having sheet pans. I feel like people should have four at a minimum. And I'm so curious, do you feel like eight is enough? I feel like 10 is my <laughs> quota right now. And I even want more of different, like even the smaller ones. So I can do like a small batch of carrots or green beans. Oh, I didn't actually. Yeah, I didn't meant I didn't count the small ones. Jay's bake. <laughs> now an ad break. Hey guys, it's Stacy. You all know that I'm passionate about helping home cooks. So when I learned that Americans eat a whopping 53 pounds of chicken per person per year, I knew exactly what I needed to do. Say goodbye to boring dry chicken with my new cookbook, Winner Winner Chicken Dinner, 50 Winning Ways to Cook It Up. It's your new handbook of go-to chicken dinner recipes. From Instant Pot Filipino-style chicken adobo to a weeknight version of the classic chicken salt and boca, from kid-approved chicken parmesan meatballs to a fantastically flavorful pineapple chicken salad with green beans and toasted coconut. My new book will help you roast, grill, slow cook, pressure cook, braise, and sheet pan your way to dinner deliciousness. Not to mention, it will also help you choose healthy meat at affordable prices, decode confusing labels, and even cut and carve chicken like the kitchen boss you are. Get your copy now at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, IndieBound, or at your local independent bookstores. All links are available at didn'tijustfeedyou.com. Outside of sheet pans, what are some like pantry staples, good olive oil that you think every cook should have that are inspired by French cuisine? Okay, so I do feel like you need to have garlic on 
you know, just good garlic. And when I say good garlic, I mean, you know, when you're going to the supermarket, you want to, or the, the farmer's market, wherever, you want to make sure your garlic is in a nice tight head. And that just, will keep, it keeps fresher. It just stays fresher. If your garlic, it gets all sprouty, which it happens this time of year, garlic is really old and it tends to sprout. You can still use it, just cut the sprouts out. You know, if, it, if you see a little green sprout above the clove. So have your garlic and then, you know, to make sure it's non-sprouty or if it's sprouty, cut the sprout out and you're going to get great flavor right there. You've got your olive oil, you've got your salt, you've got your garlic and your lemons. And honestly, I could cook just from that, like for the rest of my life. Um, But some (laughs) other things that I love, I love to have um, for French food, butter, butter in the fridge (laughs) at all times. And you know what? Just add a little, just add a little butter. So we were just talking about you have your your fish or your meat or your vegetables on a sheet pan and you've coated them in olive oil and you don't want to use butter for that necessarily, depending on how high you're cooking. But say that you did it with olive oil, right? And you're about and you put your lemon on it. Maybe instead of that drizzle of olive oil at the end, how about throwing a little butter right up, just slice up some butter, throw it on top in the hot pan and it's going to melt yes. and just toss it all together. and. Oh my God, it's so good. You know what butter on just vegetables? When was the last time you did that? When was the last time you poured melted butter on your green beans? Oh, I, I do that so weekly <laughs> this week. Oh God, so <laughs> Only I, because I, I agree like with you. Like, yeah. Most people are in the olive oil like I agree. Right I now. know. I do think people are a little bit afraid of butter, that yeah. they think it's like too high in fat. So talk about the flavor. Like, do you buy cultured butter? Do you buy salted butter for cooking with unsalted butter? I, you know, I actually do use um, a lot of cultured butter. And so cultured butter is any butter that you buy that's like imported from Europe, like Kerrygold is cultured butter. They don't necessarily put it on the label, right? Um, but that's just how they make butter in Europe. It's slightly cultured. It's got a little tang and you can buy cultured butter from the US also, and then it will say cultured butter. Sometimes you'll see, um, like if you go to the supermarket and it says sweet cream butter, have you ever seen that? Yeah, yes. totally. That means it's not cultured. That's specifically- okay. Oh, I didn't sweet- know that. I know, right? It's like one of those things. Yeah. And so if you see sweet cream, but the culture butter has a little more flavor. It has a tang. It's like the yogurt of butter, you know? So you might as well buy the cultured butter and get the extra flavor because yes. then you don't have to do anything extra. It's just a little tangy. So I like to buy European butter and um, I like to buy salted butter for, I love, I mean, I love them both. I have sweet butter and salted butter, salted butter or unsalted, unsalted. Salted butter is great for cooking savory food, and it's also great for baking things like pie crusts and shortbread because mm-hmm. you're going to put salt in that anyway. Right. And then unsalted butter is for your cakes and your cookies that are, you know, where you don't want that extra salty flavor. I want to move from butter to my <laughs> favorite ingredient in the world, sour cream slash creme fraiche. Uh, <laughs> that's another thing. That's another thing that you want to make it French, add a little bit of some yeah, kind yes. of cream product, whole heavy cream, sour cream, creme fraiche. And you don't need, you know, the thing about it is, you know, you think, okay, that's going to be so fattening. And it's going to just be so heavy and overly rich. You don't need to choose a lot of it. Yeah. You know, here's another great trick. So your green beans, right? Say you've got your green beans and and I'm using green beans just because we eat them all the time. And I'm always trying to figure out what to do to green beans. <laughs> right. There's something that everybody will eat. That's broccoli for me. It's like, right. how many ways can we cook broccoli? So, okay. But the same thing with broccoli. It's actually, this is really good with broccoli, surprisingly. So you take your broccoli or your green beans, you've cooked them however you cook them. You steam them, you stuck them in the microwave, you've roasted them. One tablespoon of sour cream or creme fraiche melted on top, some sea salt 
and some chopped up whatever parsley, whatever green you've got. Yeah. It's so good. And it's like instant sauce. And that is something that, again, we would do in France, but we wouldn't necessarily think to do in Brooklyn. But you know what? Do it, everybody, because it's really easy and really good. And it's not making it that much richer, but it adds the perception of richness, which makes you feel so much more satisfied. And it seems kind of fancy. I have to say that I did this kind of, I don't normally use cream a lot. I use butter a lot. But I did this, you know, everybody's doing the roasted gnocchi. So yeah. there's like the store-bought gnocchi, you put it on the sheet pan, toss it. And I tossed it with um, shallots, sage, bacon, and butternut squash and just okay, roasted it on. Delicious. It was it was great. And I put a little bit, I, you know, red pepper flakes. I actually had Aleppo pepper, so I used that. And it came out great, but it just like something was not right. And I was like, should I use a little like vinegar to finish it? Like, what does it need? Does it need a little like acid? And I saw that I had heavy cream and I just put like a, you know, a couple tablespoons and I had two big, huge sheet pans because my guys eat a thousand pounds of food every night. Um, (laughs) It's like a whole other five episodes. And it was so delicious. It made such a huge difference. And I thought to myself, why don't I do this more often? Because I don't buy cream as a matter of course. So I'm, I say here, here to that. Oh, and just think about like, I mean, if you had done it with sour cream or creme fraiche, yeah. you would have also had the little tang. Oh. Although with the bacon, you probably didn't even need it. That sounds great. Okay. I am not a stalker, but I do know that you also have anchovies on hand a lot, or I'm guessing All that you do. the time. <laughs> All the time. Okay, that is another thing, you know, again, just back to the French, that was something that we also, you know, we didn't really have anchovies, we just didn't, it it was really just something that, you know, when you go to the supermarket back in the day, you couldn't get good anchovies. That's why most people hate anchovies is because you're eating really bad anchovies. There's so many bad anchovies on the market. But when you get really good ones, which we used to get when we were in France, and now we can get anywhere here, you know, anywhere. So if you get really good anchovies and you they're packed in olive oil, first of all, they're not fishy. If you get really good anchovies, the kind packed in olive oil, you can also use that olive oil. So it makes it very, you know, I love to use the whole content. I, I hate draining. I love to use the whole content of the can when it's packed in something that's good, right? So take that anchovy flavored olive oil and use it in your salad dressings. It's like instant deliciousness. You can, it doesn't taste fishy. It tastes umami. It's just a little umami flavor. And you know, I love anchovies on everything. So. <laughs> so I need to ask, I'm going to put you on the spot and ask for a brand. And I'm going to tell you why I'm doing this, not just because I'm mean. So I'm first generation Greek and not anchovies, but sardines. My mom was mm. a single working mom and she was, she's actually not super into cooking. Her mother was, I learned a lot from my grandmother. Um, but sometimes she would come home and be so tired and it'd be like, there is nothing to eat in this house. And she's like, of course there are. And she would point to like a can of sardines and I'd be like, oh my God, no, that's so gross. So I've never been into little fish, honestly, because of that. Like that's. I could see that scarring you. It scarred me. So I could see that. I've been recently trying to get back into anchovies and I made the recipe the shallot pasta recipe from your colleague, Alison Roman, right? It published in the Times. Yeah. And I loved it. And my kids were like, what fish are you cooking? Like, what is going on? They were not down at all. And I think I used the wrong anchovies. What brand did you use? Do you I remember? I don't remember. 
Okay, I can tell you that it really makes a huge difference. So the ones, the brands that I use, so I have a, I have a very deep anchovy philosophy. Like I have a lot of fan anchovies and we can talk about it for the whole show. But the simplest thing is I have two different kinds on hand, two different. It's like, you know how I was just saying like you have your good olive oil for finishing and you have your yeah. regular extra virgin for cooking. Same thing with anchovies. You have okay. your cooking anchovies and then you have your eating raw on a piece of toast anchovies and they're different. And so for the cooking ones, I use a brand, it's called Agostino Recca anchovy fillets are really good they're you know medium price they're not too expensive and uh, those are those are quite good and there's another brand called absento i think or cento it's c-e-n-t-o and i use those those are cooking i think the agostino recca ones are better frankly um and then for straight up eating i use um ortiz is a brand you can find yes um, i love their tuna Don, packed in olive oil yes it's so good right yeah um, they're expensive. It's twelve dollars yeah. for a jar, so it's not cheap. But they are—I think they're worth it. Um, and, and also, then you use them place. sparingly. Well, most people, maybe not you. Yeah, <laughs> that's the thing. You're not going to use. I mean, okay, if you're me, you're going to use the whole yeah. jar. But if you're not me, you're probably not going to use the whole jar. Yes. And then the other brand is Don Bocarte from, uh, which is amazing from Spain, and those are the most expensive anchovies I've ever bought in my life. And they are so delicious. And um, I also from Fresh Direct, I buy a brand called. Codesa, C-O-D-E-S-A. And those are really good. Okay. So those I'm, are, those I'm are, literally you know. writing this down and I'm going to make that recipe again. I'm not giving up on it. Well, but you loved it, right? So it was just your kid. Maybe it's just a little too, you know, kids have more sensitive palates than we do. I mean, that is the fact of the matter is we're old. We've we have had how much wine and coffee yes. and, over our lives. Like <laughs> our, our palates are maybe not as sensitive as our kids. So I do try to give, you know, when my kid doesn't like something, I actually try to really like be, give her the <laughs> benefit of the doubt like all right you're young you're sensitive i'm old i'm jaded (laughs) well speaking of your daughter we want to know what her favorite recipe is in your new book i mean god so pretty much any of the desserts you know if it's like that seems right but there is a chocolate cake there's a you know one of those french chocolate cakes like a souffle cake kind of you know like a with a dense texture and um so good so it's a french chocolate cake and it has a little bit of rye flour in it which just makes it a little spicy a little more complex and then it has a so it has a creme anglaise so it's like a pourable custard sauce i was going to ask you to talk about that because i'm looking at the photo of it in your book right as you are speaking and to me that's the like that's the best part (laughs) the combination the best part that creme anglaise so okay I always say the way I was describing creme anglaise to Dahlia, my daughter, when I was telling her about it, because she was like, what? Because she doesn't even know what pourable custard is. You know, when I did this book, she was eight. So she was like, what pourable custard? She couldn't, you know, she just didn't understand. I was like, okay, you know, when you get ice cream and it gets kind of melty, that's what I'm talking about. So imagine cinnamon or spice flavored ice cream that is melted and melted all over your beautiful piece of chocolate cake. That is this recipe. And it is so good. It is. I mean, it's it. We were talking about fancy. It's fancy. It's not a super simple recipe because it's a chocolate cake. So you know, um, and then you make this custard. But this is like the dinner party dessert that you are going to be remembered for for the rest of your life. All your friends will they will never ever stop talking about this recipe. It's just so good, and it's also kind of foolproof because because it's a chocolate cake. You know, it's um one of those um very dense moist chocolate cakes, almost yeah. like a pudding. Like you can't mess it up. 
it's really, you know, it's like, even if you overbake it, it's still good. If you underbake it, it's still good. Like it's, it's just like, it, it's always good no matter what you do to this recipe. It looks amazing. And also I dog-eared this recipe and I noticed that your creme anglaise has white pepper in it. And I was very, I was very intrigued. Yeah. White pepper is one of those amazing spices that, you know, again, like that's a French thing. So who else but the French would take a black peppercorn and peel off the outer layer to get the white peppercorn. Like how fussy is that? But luckily you can buy them. We don't have to do that. <laughs> but it's like, that's just so fun. And you know why they do it? So that you don't mar. Well, first of all, it's a gentler pepper flavor. It's a little milder, which mm-hmm. I really like in a dessert. It's almost floral and, to me. Yeah, it's floral. It's so good. And then also you don't get those black specks so that you have, it keeps something really pristine and beautiful. I don't mind the black specks personally, but you know, the French can be uptight about those. Yes, I was going to say, leave it to them to make sure that it looks perfect as well. I know. So what is Dahlia's favorite dinner? Can I, can I put you on the spot to give us a savory recipe that she likes from this? Yeah, I think, yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, Dahlia is a roast chicken fan. She loves, I mean, what kid doesn't, right? She loves the crispy skin. Mm. And I have a really good roast chicken recipe in the book and it's spatchcocked and it has an herb butter rubbed all over it. So again, mm. we've got the butter and um, there's an herb mix, herbs, herb de Provence. So it's a mix of um, dried herbs that you can buy in the store, or you can use any, pretty much any of your favorite dried herbs, or you can use fresh herbs. So this is the most adaptable recipe ever. You just take butter, you add garlic, of course, and salt, and then whatever herbs you have in the fridge or in the pantry. If you've got fresh herbs, you know, they're going to be better. You just chop them up and throw them in. Um, The combination that I really like is a combination of tarragon, basil, chives, like to me and parsley. Those four are just like, they all bring a slightly different taste. But if you just have one of them, even if you just have parsley, garlic, parsley butter is so good. And you just chop it up and add it in. And then you smear it on the chicken. And it cooks really quickly. A spatchcock chicken will cook in under 45 minutes. Maybe 45 to 50 minutes if it's a big one. But like a normal three and a half pounder will cook in about 40 minutes. I don't understand why it isn't just a matter of course that all home cooks cook spatchcock chickens. It just, it's the best. It is the best. I think because some people don't want to like cut it themselves because handling raw chicken is you know, it's not for everyone, but I am a firm believer and you just get a pair of kitchen shears and you just cut along the backbone. And then it's kind of fun because then you get to rip it. You kind of like get to like hear the bones crack, which I personally enjoy. (laughs) (laughs) I feel very, it makes me feel like a real cook, you know? I totally agree. I totally agree. And you get a more even cook out of it as well, which I think isn't talked about enough because that's what people say. Like, oh, the breast is dry, but the dark meat is like, this takes care of it. And it really, it isn't about like wielding a big knife or anything. Like you get those shears, which, you know, our listeners know we're big fans of kitchen shears and you just cut, cut and it's done. Exactly. And if you're at all nervous, just go on YouTube and type in spatchcock chicken how to, and it'll show you a video and you will see how to do it. And it's so, and once you do it once, it's the easiest thing. Thank you so much, Melissa. This book, I, you know, one of the things that we 
talked about as soon as we got our copies is how much we love that you talk about curiosity and culinary curiosity, that this isn't just about being, you know, learning French technique or, you know, learning how to use this repertoire of ingredients. It's really just about kind of expanding your culinary curiosity and everything you do is through the lens of keeping it simple and easy and practical. And it's just such a gorgeous book. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. One last question. Wait, can't believe I didn't ask. Do you still go to (laughs) France every summer? We don't go every summer. You know, when I was a kid, we went every summer because my parents, we would house exchange. You know, my parents would exchange our house in Brooklyn for a house in France. And we don't travel like that anymore. And we don't take a whole month anymore. You know, know? so we go away for a week and we like to mix it up a little more. We do still go back to France, but we also, you know, we like to go other places too. I get it. Although everybody should pick up the book to at least read some of the stories about what happened during the um, house exchanges. (laughs) <laughs> you were young. <laughs> we had stories. <laughs> Thanks again, Melissa. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Stacy, I'm going to say something maybe weird, maybe controversial, which is I have known of Melissa Clark. I've cooked her recipes here and there over the years, but I haven't been like the same fangirl that you have been. But talking with her, I get it. Like, she's so smart. She has brilliant tips. Um, And she just, she gets it when it comes to cooking for busy families. She does. She gets it, right? And her food is so delicious. But you teased something earlier Mm -hmm. before we started talking to Melissa that you have someone that you think is, like, that you found girl out about. Who is it? Who is it? Spill it. I'm so torn between who to share here. I love Jenny Rosenstrach of Dinner, A Love Story. I feel like right after I had Ella, I read her first book that is called Dinner, A Love Story after her blog. And I was like, oh, this is the thing that like I've been missing as part of a parent, like as part of parenting and my identity as a parent. And also a thing that my career was missing. Like I had been, I was working for Alton at the time and, you know, it's very like working for Alton is very like research and science driven. There's not a lot of like passion in it or even like comfort in it. And I felt like Jenny just really wrote to that, but like stepping it way, way back and getting into like weird teenage fangirl is like, I loved and still love Jamie Oliver. Like he, I was watching The Naked Chef after school as like a 10 and 12 year old being like, oh, yes, I do want to make spaghetti with yogurt and like squeeze the lemon over the pasta without using a strainer, like just right into my hand to catch the seeds. All of that makes so much sense to me. Um, so it's interesting to watch his career and like have it come full circle now where he's like really focused on family meals. And that's also where I'm at as a grown up. I thought you were going to say Jacques Pepin. Then I was like, oh, no, she's too young. She's too young. Listen, I watch Jacques Pepin. I just think of him as a stuffy French guy. So I wasn't as into (laughs) him as young, cool, hot, (laughs) fat-lipped. I wonder if that's part of why Melissa Clark's food. I wish I had asked her. We're going to have to track her down and do a follow-up in our listeners group. Because I wonder if she was also, as a... As a Brooklynite who is probably watching PBS, I don't know. I'm really filling in a lot of blanks here. (laughs) 
<laughs> but she went to France in the summer. I won with her family. I wonder if she was a big fan of Jacques Pepin. But I remember yeah. watching him. I remember watching Julia Child. Um, and there was somebody else on PBS, another chef, who I cannot remember the name of. You guys, I'm going to look it up and we're going to put it in the listeners group who I used to watch all the time. Is it, he's like the frugal chef, the frugal yes. cook, the frugal yes. gourmet. Whew. Train of yes. thought. The frugal gourmet. Yeah. I, I also watched that. I love that show. I feel like I don't want to start rumors. I feel like there's something like not great happened with him later down the line. Anyway, it's a throwback. I wonder if kids today, what, you know, they're mostly watching baking shows, I feel like. Oh, yeah. I think. That there, though, are more, even more and more, like, Netflix cooking shows. And I've watched a few things. Like, Ella, oh, I guess that's also baking. I was going to say, Ella and I love to watch Claire Saffitz from Bon Appetit. And she makes, she does gourmet makes where she takes, like, junk food and tries to reverse engineer it. And then I just, I know we've watched other things like A Chef's Life together. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what, like, becomes their food the same way. What, What book? Well, Ella and Oliver write dinner in fill in the blank. Um, (laughs) Dinner in a time machine. Dinner in a time machine. I like it. In the meantime, y'all, we have Dinner in French by Melissa Clark. It's so fantastic. I really love it. If you love French food, if you have those romantic ideas of like only buying sourdough loaves from the market and ditching sandwich bread forever and spreading it with, I don't know deliciousness or melting Gruyere on it, you need this book (laughs) because it will take you there. But in such a fun, I don't know, I keep coming back to the world word accessible in an accessible way. I think it's the perfect word for it. And we're going to share two recipes from the book on our show notes page and then also in our newsletter. So make sure you're subscribed there. Yeah, because then you can test them out. And hey, while you're on didn'tijustfeedyou.com, we think you should join us on Instagram and Facebook where we're at Didn't I Just Feed You. And if you join our Facebook group, you need to answer the secret question with the word whiskey and don't add us. Whiskey is a cocktail, you guys. Yeah, we're like we're done. It's not debatable, you all. It's not debatable. That's that's what we're saying. And if you can't tell, we're pretty stubborn. More importantly than even that, please do subscribe to Didn't I Just Feed You so you don't miss a single episode. And if you like what you hear, tell your friends about us and rate and review on iTunes. It really actually makes a really big difference. Mostly to our mental health, but also just so that other busy parents can find us and join our community. Our music is Good Old Times by Alex Cohen, provided by Jamando. An extra huge thank you to our editor, <laughs> Samantha Gatsik, today, who is doing a lot of work to make us sound great. I'm Megan. And I'm Stacy. Stay sane and well-fed until next week. What is something you would never eat? I would never eat fish. I don't like fish. Hey, Oliver. Yup. What's your favorite cheese? Pepper Jack. Oh, no, no, no. Mozzarella. Yeah, mozzarella.